You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Hey, so tragedy is the storm that we're diving into, and it's, uh, it is a difficult one. We're in this series talking about navigating the storms of life, and we're sort of throwing some things on the table that are not uh, the most feel-good sermons, so to speak, but they're real things that happen in our lives that we need to learn how to navigate when they come our way. Things like addiction and things like relationship crisis when things fall apart. And tragedy is certainly a storm that hits every one of us. Each and every person in here or online has been affected by some tragedy. In fact, the uh, definition of tragedy in the dictionary says that it's an event causing uh, great suffering, destruction, and distress such as a serious accident, crime, or a natural catastrophe. So when we think about it in that context, all of us have probably experienced something that caused us great distress or uh, suffering or destruction or people around us that we love and care about. We've watched as they've experienced tragedy. And so I want to take a little uh, time this morning and help us look at some real-life examples from real people that we know and see how are they navigating the storm of tragedy and what can maybe we learn from them and also look into God's Word and look at really specifically Jesus and the disciples and look at some of the instances where tragedy hits that tight-knit group and learn a little bit about how do they react and maybe how does Jesus want them to respond instead. And so we'll get a chance to see from a different, few different viewpoints when tragedy hits, how do people navigate it and what can we learn from those situations. Um, most of you know uh, Chris and Mariah. Chris is our worship pastor and Mariah is his wife. Um, probably a lot of you might not know that I actually knew Mariah before Chris did. I know, weird, huh? Um, So she was in uh, our youth ministry. When I was in Tennessee doing youth ministry, she was in the youth ministry. And so I knew her when she was in high school before Chris ever met her. And I knew uh, Doug and he preached last weekend. We'll be up again next weekend. And Lainita that you saw in announcements are Mariah's folks. And I knew them before Chris knew them. And so um, and then they met and got to know each other afterwards. And so it's been kind of a fun roundabout adventure to have Chris added to our team when uh, it was one of the first interview things is he was like, you actually know my wife. I'm like, what? Um, So it was fun. But they have uh, been navigating something of a storm in their life and, uh, and, and unpacking and walking through kind of some pretty tragic, difficult circumstances and difficult news in their life. And I wanted to just let them tell the story and share a little bit about an update with what's going on with Evan and just kind of help us all get up to speed about um, how they're navigating this difficult storm in their life. So let's watch this video together. My name is Chris Wilson. Uh, I'm the worship pastor at Real Life Church Pullman here. And this is my wife, Mariah Wilson. And uh, we just wanted to share a little bit more about Evan's story and as we've uh, specifically been walking through uh, the storms of life and what that looks like, we wanted to uh, give us both a chance just to give you an update on how he's doing now, uh, give you a little bit of the backstory of when he was first born and when he was uh, in utero, what that kind of looked like and what they told us. So if you were around for the worship night that we had in, I think, October of 2020, 
We did a quick video before everyone was born, just what we were walking through at the time. And so we just wanted to give a update and just be able to be vulnerable with everybody and share a little bit more about his story and how he's doing and how we're even doing with it. So Mariah's going to give a little bit of the story here for us. Utero that um, Evan has a um, severe heart condition. It's called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And the very basic definition of that is that his right his right hand side of his heart works just fine. It's its left hand side that hasn't developed right. So they say that it's just not it's just not there fully. It's not functioning correctly. So he has a whole heart essentially. It's just the left hand side is not working. Um so 20 20 weeks. So that's when um, most pregnant women go in and they find out what kind of gender they're having and it's a really exciting doctor visit and we went in here in Pullman and um, they were doing the scan and just checking out everything and they kept going over his heart and uh, the technician was really quiet and uh, she was chatty at first so I knew something was going on. I was like, what is it? She's like, I can't tell you. I'll let the doctor discuss with you um, kind of what we're finding. So of course, you know, we were really worried. We're like, okay. <laughs> um, so we we went into the doctor's office and she sat down with us and she said, I think we're gonna send you to a specialist up in Spokane because we think there's something going on with this heart called um, HLHS. And we're like, okay, what is that? Cause we've never heard of that before. Um, so we found out he was a boy, but also that he has a heart condition on the same day. So it was really kind of a bittersweet day of just um, good news on top of bad news. Um, so anyway, fast forward, we go to a specialist, specialist in Spokane. Um, they do confirm his diagnosis of HLHS. And sitting in that room, they said, hey, you have a choice. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> um, you can choose to terminate. And I said, we're not picking that, you know, we choose life. And so, um, we chose, you know, this journey. And we, I remember we went down to Spokane, um, around the park, uh, Central Park or whatever it's called. And, uh, we walked around and just talked, you know, talked it through. We're just a lot of emotions and anger, sadness, uh, just, bitterness a little bit of that but mostly like okay god we know you have plans like we've we've been praying for this baby for a while and we know that he has a story um so we just trekked along with pregnancy and then the day he was uh born it was october 22nd um there were 50 people of our church who um, they just, they went down to the office and they prayed for us. And I just, I was sitting on that or laying on that table and I just felt this peace I've never felt before. And it was just God saying, I've got this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And nurses kept coming up to me and squeezing my arm and they were like, it's going to be okay. Are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. Like this is, I know it's going to be okay. <laughs> um, so 
he's born and they kind of expected to do like a surgery right off the bat and they didn't have to um he was actually stable enough that he was able to uh be in the same room with us and we took some family photos of um you know just just looking at him he was on another table couldn't hold him quite yet but we were able to look at him which was really really cool because we were just kind of expecting him to just be whisked away and um, have to have an emergency surgery. Um, So it was really good to be able to spend time with him. But, you know, there's a lot of doctors there that truly care about Evan. He has a a lot of doctors, a lot of, um, a huge team that are, you know, behind him and us and constantly working on, um, so he's going to have his next surgery coming up soon we're not sure of the date yet but um with that surgery they are just already forming a plan and our cardiologist team um they're constantly just giving us updates and checking his heart and you know we go up to Spokane at least two three times a month (laughs) just to make sure he's doing okay so this is like uh this procedure and this them being able to even do anything is uh what like 25 years old or something like that um and it's you know it's not a it's not a couple hundred years old procedure so i think just being able to have that technology and a good team up in Spokane to, to who really care about Evan and who really care about being able to make sure that he has as long of a life as possible and whatever God's plan is with that, that um, we can provide a good life for him. So, yeah, yeah, and I think through through the journey through the process, which we're still walking through, like Mariah said, you know, he's got another surgery coming up in probably two months ish. We don't know exactly when, but. Um, you know, it's just, it's a journey, it's a process, uh, good days, bad days, good weeks, bad weeks. And, and, you know, through it all, we're just trying to keep sticking tight with God, trusting him. Um, you know, we continually ask for prayer for healing, you know, and, uh, we just know God can do anything. So we just pray for healing. Um, and yeah, we just love our little guy and we just want the best for him. We're doing what we can, but, uh, so we just want to give an update on kind of where, where he's at, tell a little bit more of the story, and just with the series we're walking through, we just thought hopefully can encourage someone out there. You know, it's it's a hard thing to talk about for sure, but it's also important that we share um, our stories because as we've been talking about, it's really God's story in the end, and you know, Evan's story is really God's story. So we just uh, know that God's got him, and we just continue to do our part, and thank you all for praying, and the church just rallying around us and being there for us through this time. Pretty pretty uh, amazing story of how they're just staying encouraged and staying faithful with the Lord. I don't know, some of you in this room are well past your mid-20s, um, myself included, and if you can think back to where you were at in your mid-20s, your level of maturity and where you're at and how seriously you were following the Lord, and to receive that kind of news with your first baby to go in and think you're going to find out the gender, and then you find out you're not sure if they're going to make it. Um, many of you in this room are not quite in your mid-20s yet. And you think about like just a year or two away, what, you know, kind of just maturity wise and season of life wise where you're at, how would you handle hearing that kind of news? 
And so I just want to say I'm just super proud of Chris and Mariah and how faithful they've been to just stay grounded, stay tight with God. Um, I, I love even just her testimony in there of talking about how, yes, there was bitterness and feelings and anger and worry and all that stuff, but then it wasn't like they just quickly turned the corner and did what I think we're going to see really as the heart of Jesus in the face of tragedy and hard news is to refocus on him. And so we're going to dig in and talk about that. So we get an example to kind of see some of our own uh, family kind of going through tragedy and how do they react and respond to it. And now we're going to dig into God's word a little bit and particularly look at the disciples and Jesus, because there was a couple of times, well, more than, more than a few times, they heard about some tragedy coming their way. And sometimes we get fair warning, you know, a little bit of a heads up that tragedy is coming. And then we have to navigate like all of the stuff that comes with like, here it comes, you know, maybe it's the news of a, uh, uh, an illness like this or a job loss that's getting phased out or something, or maybe it's the news of a, a loved one that has a, a terminal disease or something. And we know about it coming. Other times tragedy hits us off, you know, just out of left field. And we don't see it coming at all. And so there was a lot of instances where Jesus with the disciples, they sort of got some forewarning, some heads up that tragedy was coming their way. And I want to look at those, a couple of those stories to help us kind of learn how to navigate. Like, how did the disciples respond? How did they react? And then what adjustments did Jesus give them? And what can we learn from that about navigating the storms of tragedy that hit in our life? So the first story happens um, at uh, well into Jesus' time with his disciples. He spent quite a bit of time with them. They've done a lot of life together. They've traveled together, taught together. They've watched him do miracles. Like They've spent a long time together, and they actually travel way north in uh, the northern end of Israel. And so if you're familiar with the map of Israel, there's the, the Dead Sea, and then from the Dead Sea, you travel north up the Jordan River, which is really just a giant muddy creek. Um, and then you get to the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a big lake. Okay, you with me? Um, and so we're at the Sea of Galilee, and then you go further even north from the Sea of Galilee, and as you go north from the Sea of Galilee, you get into the foothills of Mount Hermon, which actually has snow on it, even in the summer. So like, gives you an idea of the diversity of the climate there, because the Dead Sea is not snow ever, right? And so you get way north, and so this time, Jesus takes his disciples way north of the Sea of Galilee, well out of their kind of home turf range where they did ministry, and they're far, they're far up north in this place called Caesarea Philippi. And at Caesarea Philippi, there is a famous landmark known throughout the world. It's a, a giant cave in the earth that kind of goes and bows down, you know, it like turns the corner and goes way deep into the earth. And at the time, the whole world knew of that that place as the gateway to hell. And from that place, the powers of hell and all that came from the inner workings of the world, that was where they had access to come in and out and interact with them. And so they actually built a temple there on that very same place with this huge temple that covered the cave and the opening. And it was a temple to a God called Pan. And the pagan worship there was uh, unheard of. Like it was just absolutely evil and horrible. And Jesus takes his disciples there to this place. 
And, and you just got to wonder, like, were the disciples thinking the whole way there? Like, they, this was a famous place. They knew for sure where they were going. They knew where this road headed. And as they got closer, they knew what, what's going on. Why are we going here? This place is evil. It is unclean. Everything that comes from there is bad. They're, they're pagan. Like, like, it's one thing to roll through Samaria, but why are we going here? And Jesus takes them to this place and has a conversation with them that has since sort of become famous in the history of our faith. And the conversation, he ends up, he gets up near this place where this temple is, and he asks his disciples, so while we're hanging out here, kind of looking around, what I want to know is, is as you guys are out interacting with people, who do people say that I am? And they go, oh, we could tell you that because we hear all the time. People say that you're John the Baptist. They wonder if you're Elijah. They wonder if you're Jeremiah. They wonder if you're a different prophet that's maybe come back and raised from the dead or something. Like there, People have all kinds of speculation about who you must be. And, he, and then Jesus switches it up and brings it a little bit closer to home. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And I imagine him sort of asking that in the context of like, okay, so as you're out and about, people are wondering who your teacher is and they're making guesses. What are, what are you telling them, right? Like, who do you say I am? And so Matthew 16, verse 16, Peter answers like this. It says, verse 16, <clears throat> Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus replied. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Here we are in this place. Like, I just want to get you in the right context, the right frame of mind. Like, join them in this spot so that you're ready for what's about to come next. Because here you are in this spot that where the temple uh, to Pan is, like one of the most evil temples in, of pagan worship in the known world at the time that's known as the gateway to hell. And it's in this spot that Jesus kind of puts his flag in the ground with his disciples and says, I've brought you all the way up here in front of this evil place where all this terrible stuff happens, where nobody wants to go in the Christian world or the Jewish world at the time. And I brought you here to make sure that you guys no, we're putting our stake in the ground. That will not prevail. Everything that that place stands for will not prevail. That is not going to hold up. It won't last. It will not overcome us. We win. And you got to imagine the disciples are a little bit like having one of those Braveheart moments where William Wallace gives the speech, right? And it's sort of like, yeah, like finally, like some good news, right? Like we're going to take over. We're going to kick butt. Like that stuff will not prevail. Yes, down with evil and all of that wretched ugliness. And they start to walk down off of this hill with Jesus. And in the back of their mind, they're, they're sort of retelling the victory speech, right? Like any one of us would do. Like, yes, finally. And it's in that context as they walk off of this hill after this time that Jesus tells them that that all of that won't prevail it all of a sudden Jesus starts to let them know there's tragedy on the way 
He goes like this. It, it, we continue on in the story. Matthew 16, verse 21 says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Well, Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then the, Jesus says to the disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And I just wonder, as I see this scene play out, like on the heels of this amazing circumstances, great news, victory coming, you're a part of the winning team, and all of a sudden you get this news that it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. There's actually tragedy coming. It doesn't, they're having a hard time wrapping their brain about how can, how can both things be true? How can we win but you lose? Right? And Peter... Peter jumps up and he's just like, no, it is not absolutely. He's like, I declare that news bad. I do not allow it. I'm not going to let that happen. Right. To which Jesus says, sit down, boy. Right. Like that. That's you're not speaking for the for the one that I want to hear from. And and I wonder how many times do we respond to tragic news and hard things that happen in our life the way Peter does? How many times do we hear things that that are not the news we want to hear? They are not the way we want things to go. They're not uh, the, the, the stuff that we want to know about coming up in our life. They, they mess up our plans. And how often do we respond like Peter and go, no. Like, do we just stick our fingers in our ears and put our head in the sand, right? And go, ah, no, 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 no. Like, I just am going to pretend like I didn't hear the bad news. I know some people that do that. Other times it's like we just argue with the news itself. Like, no, I don't want to hear it. I, I don't like that news. It's going to mess up my plans. It's going to mess up my life. It's not okay. Why is this happening to me? There's anger at God, questioning of God. Like, why me? Why now? What's going on, right? And then I think we need to learn from from the way Jesus kind of called the guys to refocus. Because Jesus does something. He sort of calls out this trap that I think so many of us fall into. It's this trap of being overly concerned with ourselves. When bad news comes, when tragedy hits, when things, curveballs happen in our life that we don't like and we didn't expect, we get so self-absorbed and so self-consumed about how this is going to affect my life and my circumstances and my plans and my finances and my happiness. And Jesus is saying, time out. Time out. It's like in this, in this story, it's like he tells the disciples, listen, I need you to refocus. 
I need you to refocus because I, I, I'm trying to remind you over and over again that, that if your life is going to be all about you, if your eyes are always going to be on you, if you're always going to be focused on your plans and your dreams and your agenda and your relationships and your bank account and your plans, you're, not, you're, you're just constantly going to be thrown curveballs and disappointed. You're not going to find the life you want always looking at yourself. He's like, on the other hand... If you will take up your cross, if you'll pick up your hurts and your hangups, the garbage that's going on in your life, this horrible news that you just got, the tragedy that's happening in your life, the hard things that have hit your life, if you will pick that stuff up and follow me, I can take you to the one that can help you navigate this storm. I can, I can take you to the person that can help you like Mariah in the midst of this crazy stuff going on and this curveball that they got in their life, say to a nurse that I'm totally at peace. In a situation where you shouldn't be at peace if you're really worried about yourself, right? Jesus is calling them to like lay down trying to do your life your way, the way you always do it, and instead... Pick up your stuff, all that hard stuff, all that heartache and hurt and hang-ups, and come and follow me, and I'll take you to the one that can help you navigate it. So Jesus is calling them to refocus. Get your eyes off of yourself. Instead, bring that stuff to the foot of the cross. Bring that stuff. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, Another time where Jesus' disciples get the news of some tragedy coming their way, Uh, this particular time hits a lot closer to home. This time hits close to home because Jesus actually highlights for them that one of them is going to be the cause of the tragedy. So this isn't just like out there bad news. This is like one of you is going to be the reason for the bad news. This particular story takes place in the upper room near the very end of Jesus' life. They're having the Passover dinner together. And they're sharing the Passover dinner, and so they're uh, there in the scene. They go to the upper room. Jesus does something unheard of to start the night. As a rabbi, he actually kneels and washes the feet of his students, of his disciples, which was not the way it was supposed to be done. They were quite humbled and almost embarrassed to receive this treatment and service from someone who was so much above them in status. And Jesus uses that example right then to teach them about servant leadership and about to, to lead with humility and, and, and never be so much that you can't do something as simple as this. And so he talks to them about servant leadership and, and, and how he wants them to lead the way he's lit, led and love people the way he's loved them. And they go on to share a meal together, the Passover meal, and they're reclined around a, a, like a low table rug type situation on the floor. They're laying on a shoulder with their feet laying out behind them. The pictures that you You've seen depicted of the Last Supper look nothing like what the Last Supper was. It makes for a pretty painting, and it's not at all real, 100% fiction. They would have just been in this tight, small room, crowded, smell of smoke from fire burning down below, like not well lit, hanging around really close to each other in close quarters, leaning down, laying sideways, like sort of eaten, half-reclined touching each other, leaning against each other. 
And it's in that context that they have this meal and they share a conversation and they talk and Jesus speaks to them. And then the conversation shifts and Jesus lets them know that there's some hard stuff coming their way. It goes like this. In John 13, verse 21, it says, After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? I don't you just imagine this scene, right? The, this tight room, leaning in, they're, they're close proximity to each other. And as is often the case, when something is awry, Peter's the first guy to speak up. Peter's the guy whose mouth moves before his brain. Do you guys know one of those? And, and this time, though, I think it's kind of interesting because I think Peter's learning a little bit because he can recall on the last time that he spoke up and tried to tell Jesus how it wasn't going to go, how he didn't want it to go, and Jesus sort of said, uh, sit down, boy, right? Like, so this time, Peter's like, uh-huh. he tugs on John. Hey, you're closer. You ask him who's going to do it. So John asks him, which one of us is it going to be? Now, you've got to wrap your brain around the environment here and what's going on, the level of relationship. These guys have spent years together, this small band of brothers, these, this, these guys that have done life together, traveled together, been taught, learned, wrestled with the scriptures together, watched miracles happen together, have put on countless miles, literally adventuring together. You imagine how close you get when you just do like a week on uh, a week away camp retreat together or something like how tight knit you feel with the group that you spent. These guys have done this for years together and here they are at this intimate meal close sold out to each other sold out to their rabbi and he's just told them that one of them is going to betray him. How long do you think we would have to let that scene play out until there was fist fights going on? Until they were like, uh, like a group of brothers going, wait a minute, who, who, wait, who? You, are you? I thought I saw you talking to. Where were you the other day when we couldn't account for you? Like, like, like trying to start blaming and figuring out and solving and fixing and then, and then dealing with. You can just imagine the tension in such a close group of friends to receive that kind of news. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't let it play out. He tells them. He actually tells them it's going to be Judas. And with that, Judas gets up and leaves the room. Could you imagine how hard it was for Peter to not get up and go chase Judas? Like, uh uh-uh, you're not going to turn on us. But Jesus has some words to speak to his guys as they are wrestling with the emotional, the, the mental, the, all of the, the reacting to this horrible news, this tragic news. That they're, they're going through all kinds of responses, and Jesus has some words of wisdom to them about how he wants them to respond in this situation. It goes like this in John uh, thirteen thirty three. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. 
you will look for me now. And just as I told the Jews, I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is a passage that every preacher loves to preach on because it's great. It's this great, powerful, positive, encouraging remind. You know, like this is the this is Jesus giving you like the the punchline of Christianity. If you want to be known as a disciple of Jesus, you're going to have to learn how to love each other. Period. Like that is if we if a, if preachers could preach one message every weekend, it would just be this: love each other, love each other, love each other. Learn how to love each other. What's your problem? Learn how to love each other. How's it not working? Learn how to love each other. Like this is the thing that we hang our hat on as Christians: is that if we're going to be known as disciples of Jesus, we have to love each other. Now it, it's great to preach, and it's so true, and it's so accurate. But I think so often we forget the context from which that lesson came. We forget that this is a, a lesson that Jesus said to some of his closest friends and followers on the heels of telling them that one of them was going to be a turncoat. Like, there's a rat amongst us. There's someone that's going to betray us. All that we've done, all that we stand for, everything about us, there's one here that's going to turn on us. And the way normal people would react to that is to get even, to be angry, to fight back, to try and fix it, to go try and like grab him, to tell him and argue with him why he can't do the thing he's going to go do, right? All of that stuff. And in the midst of that, that's where Jesus gives us this command, love one another it's like he's trying to get him to go he's like he's like doing one of these you know like hey everybody eyes up here eyes up here i know your mind is wandering and you want to go fix this right now but you know what i need you to do right now what i need you to do is refocus and i need you to to like coming out of this room with all that's coming and all the consequences that are going to come from this tragic news and all that it's going to entail what i really need you guys to do is love each other And if you can do that, then everybody out there that's watching from the outside in, all of the lost and hurting people, all of the people that are against us, one thing nobody will be able to deny is that you are my disciples. And I think that's the the kind of thing that Jesus wants us to know today. Like in the midst of the tragedies that hit your life, when bad news happens and and life throws you a curveball, someone you love deeply has cancer, when someone you care about has just lost in their job and you don't have the money to help them and you don't know anybody that has the money to help them and you don't know if they're going to be able to keep their house, right? Like when car stuff breaks down, when relationship stuff breaks down, with health stuff throws you curveballs. In the midst of all that, how we normally respond, fix it, emotion, angry, spitefulness, questioning God, what's going on, like all of those normal responses that happen, God's trying to get our attention, like Jesus with the disciples in the upper room, and he's trying to snap his fingers and go, time out, hang out. Hang on. I need you to refocus what I want you to do most of all right now. Like when you're done with this moment, I need you to walk away from here. And the thing I want to be on your heart is I want you to be like 
rattling your mind and reminding yourself that you're one of my disciples and you're going to love people. And the person that just gave you that bad news, how are you going to love them? The person that's the recipient of that bad news, how are you going to love them? The person that betrayed you, how are you going to love them? The, the, the situation that's going on that you can't fix and, they're, and as badly as you want to help them, there's nothing you can do to help them. How are you going to love them? That's how we respond to the tragedy storm when it hits our life, is we we get our eyes refocused on Jesus. We stop camping out on the, how's this going to affect me? How's this going to wreck my life and my plans and mess up my stuff that I wanted to do? And we we get our eyes back on the path that follows Jesus, and we get ourselves reminded that if we're going to really be disciples, like these are those these storms of life that hit are what I like to call rubber meets the road Christianity tests. Like, it's easy to believe and follow Jesus when life is great. But when the storm hits and horrible news hits your life and hard things happen in your life, tomorrow, the day after that, when you get up, are your feet still on the path that's following Jesus? Can you persevere? Can you hang in there? Can you love? And I can tell you that many, many, many people that have gone before us can and did. And we have their examples to follow. And we got great examples like in our own midst of watching Chris and Mariah navigate this storm with Evan and and figuring out how to walk through that stuff and how are they responding to it they're they're just continuing to hit their knees they're continuing to ask for prayer they're continuing to talk to god about it and they're continuing to love each other really well like i'm super proud of the fact that as as hard as all of this stuff has been they like each other which i don't know if you've ever been in a relationship or married and been through hard stuff it's easy to not like each other you tend to take out your hurts on the people that are closest to you and the fact that they just love each other that's a testimony to how close they are and sticking with god it's a testimony like jesus says that they're actually his disciples when the rubber meets the road we're gonna finish up with communion this morning and i've got a few questions in your notes there that i want to go through with you as we're getting our communion stuff ready they're in the very back of your notes and they're going to be up on screen too but just some things to ponder is um do you have any tragic things coming in your life do you know that there's some tragedy coming some hard things have you got bad news about something that's pending and then kind of to go dovetail with that is how have you responded to that, to tragedies in the past? Like, when you think about what we learned today, like the way that Jesus wants us to respond to tragedy, and you look at how you've handled it in the past, does it line up? And if it doesn't, how can you be proactive so that you're better prepared for the hard stuff that's coming this time? Maybe you need to reach out and ask for help. Maybe you need to reach out and ask a counselor and say, hey, I've had hard things happen in my life before, and I did not look like I was following Jesus the way it all worked out. I need some help. The other thing that's in there is the idea of uh, being locked into your calling and mission. If you know where you're going, you know who you're following, 
It's a lot easier to stay the course when tragedy hits and when storms hit. And if you're just like, man, I've heard people talk about calling. I hear people talk about being like really locked in and on the path. And I just don't like that sounds nice. I love the idea of it, but it doesn't, I don't get it. It doesn't feel like my life. I don't think I have my calling figured out. I don't know who God wants me to be other than just a Christian. Like, but beyond that, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live my life? What does it look like? And you want help with that? We would love to help you. Our team would love to help you dive in and really figure out like maybe what is your calling? I'm not saying I have the answer, but I know some great ways to help you pursue the answer and so if that's something that you want help with write it on your card or come talk to one of us thanks for checking out this message from real life you can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on facebook until next time have a great week